know, we're doing a series now called Credo, which we're talking about fundamental beliefs, not only Foursquare, which is our covering, our denomination, but also the beliefs of the Adventure Church. These are fundamental, basic beliefs, but these are the important things that, that really determine everything about our, our Christian life and our spiritual lives. I toured with a choir when I was in college, and um, the, the director of the choir would always say, he'd always talk about doing blocking and tackling. He always talked about how important the basics were in any sport. It's doing the same things that you know will strengthen you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm calling this message, Everyday Jesus. And what this is, is talking about daily Christian life. What does the, the life look like for someone who is a true disciple of Jesus? Now, now the people I'm not talking about are people who claim to be followers of Jesus or claim to know Jesus, but are not born again. We talked about this last week. We talked about the importance of being born of his spirit, that you cannot be a Christian if you are not born again. And if you have any questions about that, I'd be happy to answer them after service, or maybe someone around here would answer that. But I'm talking about people who know him, who are filled with his spirit, and who want the fullness that he has to offer, the abundant life that he has to offer. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. That stands to reason, right? It says, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. And these are the things we're going to talk about today. This is not a list of, of um, rules or do's and don'ts. These are just the natural outpourings and those things, those activities and those, this lifestyle, basically, that, that defines us as believers. Hebrews 6.1 says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Anybody else want to be mature in their understanding? Yeah. Don't you want everything God has for you? The one who created those mountains out there? That's some pretty epic stuff. And he has so much for us. And he wants us to become mature in our understanding. It says, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Not saying that those things aren't important, but these it, it's a given. These are things that we should have already done if we call ourselves by the name of Jesus. So I'm going to talk to you today about 10 different things that are characteristic of someone who is a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to start, number one, with the Word of God, the Bible. I love this book. This book has changed my life. Legit. I was so lost when I was in my early 20s and so broken. And I could go into all of the list of all of the horrible things that I was and did. But I just want to say that it was through spending time just mining this gold mine right here. It says in 1 Peter 2, 2, 1 Peter 2, 2, 
Now, this is going to seem like it's the antithesis of what we just talked about in Hebrews 6, where it says we want to become mature in our understanding. This is saying, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. That's what I want. Do you want that too? The full experience of salvation? I want it all. And, and it says, cry out for this nourishment. So what this is not saying, this is not saying be like a baby. Don't be a baby. <laughs> this is not saying that. It's saying like a baby craves nourishment in the same way that babies cry when they're hungry. They, they long to have that nourishment. It's saying in the same way you should crave what this book has for you. You know, it says of itself, it is your daily bread. And yet, remember when I told you only 18% of all Christians say they actually read it? I just have a question for you. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. It just comes naturally. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I just want to ask you, what else are you doing that is so much more important I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just legitimately curious. As a person who lived the first several years of her life without this book, and I know that there's, I know that there's spiritual opposition. I do not underestimate that. I know that all the forces of hell want to keep you from reading this book, but I want to tell you, this is a treasure trove. And spending time reading it, if you don't know where to start, See, I offended somebody already. If you, don't know, <laughs> if you don't know where to start, start in the book of John, in the New Testament, or read Psalms. Psalms are like David's prayers to God. Or Proverbs, that's like human interaction. That's a book of wisdom. But, you know, maybe don't, I mean, if you want to read it from front to back, go ahead, but you might get a little bogged down somewhere in the middle there, but my point is read it. It is life-changing. It is literally like a newborn baby crave nourishment. You know, it's like Jesus has set this banquet table for you. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. For those of you who are freaked out by buffets, I apologize, but imagine that it's a, it's, it doesn't have, it's not germ-infested, but imagine that there's this buffet table set before you, and Jesus is sitting there, He's waiting for you to come and sit down. And he wants to just give you more and more and more nourishment. And he just, he's sitting there. He's just waiting. What would it be like? Imagine if you made this amazing meal and you were so excited to have people over and you make this meal, you make the table beautiful, everything's just perfect, and you sit down and your guests don't show up. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. And then you find out your guests went through the drive-thru at Del Taco. You're like, what? <laughs> so number one, the word of God. The word of God. And, and I just, you know, the Bible says that we should seek understanding. If you knew that you had a million dollars buried in your backyard... Would you go, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have time to, to go dig it out. I mean, 
It's a lot of work. I don't think I'm going to do that. Is that realistic? If you had a gold mine in your backyard, you'd be out there digging away, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? It's just me. <laughs> you would be back there. Trust me. You would be back there digging away for that gold mine. And it's, that, it's the same thing with this. Now, there are times where let's say you're going through something really hard. And, and, and I know that depression is a reality, especially among Gen Z and, and the younger generation, depression is rampant. And I understand that there are times where you're depressed and you can't get the same kind of nutrition out of the Bible. But I want to just encourage you, just continue. Continue to read it, whether you feel like it's feeding your soul or not. Because you know, there are times where you where you sit down to eat a, a delicious meal. We went to a place last night and I discovered chimichurri sauce. It, it changed my life. I mean, I'm just, I'm transformed. It was so delicious. It was an Argentinian restaurant. But there are times where you sit down at a meal and every morsel, I mean, you just enjoy every single bite. You like those meals where it's like, oh, this is so delicious. I'm having a spiritual encounter right now with this prime rib or whatever your thing is. But there are also times where you eat and you get through your meal and you're like, I literally don't remember tasting a single bite of that food. Yeah? They both nourish you. They're both necessary, but the one is much more enjoyable, right? And that's, that's the relationship we can have with the Word of God is sitting there just just eating it up. That's what the Lord's calling us to. Not just reading it to check it off your to-do list. I want to say another thing. I talk about the bold print verses. When you're reading it and all of a sudden something stands out to you, camp on that. Don't be so worried about your agenda. Oh, I need to get through 14 chapters to be spiritual. No, sometimes you're going to pick up the Bible and you're going to open it up. And you're going to go, Boom, this is what the Lord's saying to me. The wise man wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You're nothing but a windbag. Well, maybe not that one. <laughs> but there are going to be times where you're going to open it up and it's going to minister to you immediately. But when those verses like pop out at you, camp on that, which leads me to point number two, meditate on it. You know, chew on it, devour it, ingest it, let it, let it go into your heart. I was reading something um, a couple weeks ago in Deuteronomy, and I was just kind of reading through, you know, reading through Deuteronomy, and all of a sudden it said, you need to teach these things to your children and to your children's children. And I was like, like I've kind of shirked my responsibility as a Mimi, like to my grandkids, of not really making a concerted effort to talk to them about Jesus, to talk to them about the things of the Lord. I mean, yeah, I read them their little, their little kid's Bible, and I probably get more out of it than they do, but I mean, it, it makes such a difference. And I just, and I realized, wow, I really need to be, I need to be speaking these things into their lives. And so I was with um, my little grandson, Jackson, turned four this week, and I was talking with him, and I said, do you know who loves you so, 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 so much? And he goes, mommy? And I go, well, yeah, 
mommy loves you so much. I go, but do you know who loves you more than mommy? And he goes, daddy? We're getting close. (laughs) I said, no, daddy loves you a lot too. I said, no, but Jesus loves you so, so, so much. And he was telling me, we, we were playing and we turned off all the lights And so we were just sitting in the dark and he came and cuddled up with me and he was telling me how sometimes he has bad dreams. And I said, you know, when you have a bad dream, Jesus is there. I said, because the Bible says, when I am afraid, I will trust in him, in God whose word I praise. You know, the Bible, one verse can transform your life. One verse can change everything in your situation. One verse from this, and that's why I'm saying it's a gold mine, but sometimes you have to dig. You know, sometimes you have to really persevere. But before you sit down and read it and meditate on it, ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, say something to me today through your word, because then you know it's the word of the Lord. And even like when Corinne got up here and spoke, what she said was biblical. What she said was from the word of God, but she punctuated it with with practical application today. By the way, the feeling of being under the power of the Holy Spirit and anointed is very close to the feeling of being nervous, <laughs> just so you know. So pray and then think about it and then, I mean, uh, read the word and meditate and then pray about it. Because I can promise you when, when you're reading the Bible and meditating on it, things will come up. Things things for you to pray about, either for yourself or for your family members or for coworkers or your situation or circumstances, but take the time. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And, you know, we joke about that a lot. Oh, I, I'm going to pray without ceasing. When I go to the grocery store, I'm going to go, oh, sh- Lord, should I buy this red bell pepper or should I buy this green pepper? Or, you know, that's weird, okay? That's just weird. That's weird spirituality. But there are things you should definitely pray about. Big decisions in your life, who you should marry, what church you should go to, if you should move if you should buy a house, if you should change jobs. I mean, all of these things are things it says, commit whatever you do to the Lord and all your plans will succeed. What a great promise. That's in Proverbs 16.3. Can you say that? Commit whatever you do to the Lord and all your plans will succeed. Isn't that an awesome promise? I claim that promise a lot. You know, um, my daughter that was singing up here, Rebecca, um, when she was training in racquetball, um, there's a proverb and it says, all hard work leads to profit. And that was a verse that she just, she, she caught it. And it transformed everything about her training. And she kept thinking, all hard work leads to profit. All hard work leads to profit. And she applied it to her training and she ended up winning the state, you know, but one thing from the Bible can completely transform the way that you think about things. And so pray about those things. When the Holy Spirit speaks it to you, take it to the Lord. And it says that um, in verse 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You are supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. This is not saying you give thanks for the circumstance because sometimes stuff just sucks, right? 
Sometimes life just does not go the way that we want it to go. But even in the midst of it, we can still give thanks because our God is good, our God is for us, and our God is faithful, right? Yes? You guys are still tired, aren't you? <laughs> um, I have a, a hot tub, and I've had it looked at so many times because it's actually a cold tub. But there's so many times that I've, like, Tried to, tried to go out there, and it, it's been just, just cold, ice cold. And like when it's 22 degrees, that's, that's not pleasant. But, um, but I've had it looked at several times by technicians. And finally, one of them said, I think there's a disconnect between your electrical unit and your hot tub. And that's the reason. He, he said, there's nothing wrong with your hot tub. It's the electrical connection. And this is exactly what it's like for so many of us, spiritually speaking. There's a disconnect, and we're missing out on the power and the authority that the Lord wants to pour through us. You know, the Bible says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given it everything we need. Does anybody else here have Amazonnesia? <laughs> Do you know what that is? <laughs> you order a package, and you're like, what was that? What, what's the first thing that you want to do when you see a package and you don't remember what you ordered? What do you want to do? Yeah. Why do you want to open it? Because you ordered it and you're like, yes, this is something I'm probably going to need. Right? In most cases. In some cases, it's just dumb. You're like, why did I order that? I don't know. I was awake too long. But the same, the same principle applies here with the things of the Spirit. It's like God is giving you this gift the full experience of salvation. And he's saying, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. I want to hang out with you. And I have to be honest, my times with the Lord, you guys should all be jealous of me. I'm telling you, like this morning, I woke up way too early. I woke up at 453 and I was like, can I just sleep a little longer? And it was like, Jesus was like, come and hang out with me. So I got out of bed. Oh, just had the sweetest time, just in his presence. Just feeling his love. Just hearing his, his words of just affirmation and kindness. <laughs> Sounded just like that. <laughs> that moment is gone. But anyway, <laughs> but I want to just say, this is my prayer for you, Adventure Church, that you would experience this love and this depth of acceptance and this grace that he wants to pour out on you. It's the Amazon package you haven't opened yet. And he wants you to rip that guy open and spend time in his presence. And just talk to him. Pour out your heart. You know, me and Jesus joke around. And they're like, okay, we're out of here. She is crazy. I suspected it. But really, it's like he knows who he made me to be. Like this morning, I was just literally 
It's a good thing my roommates didn't come downstairs, but I was literally like sitting there cracking up with Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what we we're joking about because it's personal, but, but I just want to say there is such a sweetness in his presence. I just want to encourage you. I don't know what else you're doing, but you know, it's like maybe you're staying up too late watching Netflix. Um, and, and so you're like, uh, I probably need to sleep. No, don't. Make yourself get up. A lot of people call these things spiritual disciplines, which sounds so kind of stale. But make yourself get up. You know, it says, it says that Jesus, it says before it was even light outside, Jesus got up to go pray. There's something about it, something about getting up with the sun and just spending time with Jesus. And I know for some of you, you have work schedules that don't, you don't afford you that, that liberty. But whatever your best time of the day is, offer that to the Lord. That's what he has for you. Okay, I'm moving on. Um, then the fourth principle. So we have reading the Bible, meditating, praying, and the fourth principle is worship. It says in Psalm 102 to worship the Lord with what? With Worship the Lord with gladness, also with all your heart. Yes. <laughs> Worship the Lord with gladness, it says. Even if you're struggling, even if you're going through a hard time, you can say that it is well with my soul. I don't know what is going on here. You know the Bible says that the trials that you're going through right now, think about the worst trial that you have ever experienced in your life. Do you know what the Bible says about it? It says it is a light and momentary trial, and it will achieve a glory that will far surpass anything you've ever been through. Is that crazy? When you think about that, I mean, how many of us walk around going, well, that's kind of a light and momentary trial. I mean, after my husband died, I, I wasn't walking around saying, this is a light and momentary trial. But that's what the Bible says about it. I mean, it, was, it wrecked me. Like, I was wrecked. But again, back to this. I lived in this book, especially the Psalms. I just lived in the Psalms because that was my food day and night. But the Bible says these are light and momentary trials and they are going to achieve a glory. They're going to achieve something so amazing. It's going to surpass anything you've ever been through in your life. No matter how hard it seems, it says we should still worship with gladness. We should still give thanks. We should still be grateful. Did you know that in the Bible, it says at one point, the Israelites were grumbling and complaining so much so that God opened up the ground and swallowed up 23,000? So, you think grumbling's not a, not a big deal? It's the opposite of what we're called to. We're called to give thanks. We're called to sing joyful songs and, and even with gladness, even when we're grieving. Because we can trust that our God is on the throne, seated in righteousness and majesty. So worshiping the Lord, it isn't just about music. It's also about an attitude. So some of you, I, I mean... You know, I know, I know you want to get your Drake on or your, you know, Justin Bieber or, I don't know, Conway Twitty. 
<laughs> or queen. I don't know. I, and I'm not saying I'm not saying never listen to music. That's not worship music. But what I'm saying is have that attitude in the morning rather than putting on talk radio. Maybe some of y'all need to put on worship music. Get your attitude right with the Lord. Maybe maybe instead of having the news blaring through your house or whatever kind of music, just put on a worship music. It changes the atmosphere. Did you know that the Bible mentions worship 879 times? Worship is a big stinking deal in the Bible. It is a big deal. So we are called to worship. Okay, I'm going to have to move along here. Okay, the fifth thing is service. This is serving other people, laying down your life for other people. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. This is saying, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is another. Did you know the words service and worship are interchangeable many times? To worship the Lord means to serve the Lord, and to serve the Lord means to worship the Lord. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. The sixth thing is, and everyone loves this one, fasting. Woo! Shout out for fasting, right? Come on, all my fasters. Okay, good. We have... (laughs) Actually, fasting is amazing. You will see chains broken through fasting. You will see bondages freed. You will be released from bondage through fasting. You know, even Jesus said there are certain things that only come out through prayer and fasting. Some translations take the word and fasting out because they don't want to do that. But it says it. Jesus said it. And he says this in, in Matthew 6, 16, he says, When, 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 not if, when you fast, don't do it like the pagans. He says, don't make it obvious like the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled at them. Fasting. I'm sorry, I can't have any of that donut. I'm fixed. It says, they do this so that people will admire them for their fasting. I mean, really? It's like, how great are your coworkers that you're looking to them to give you your self-esteem, right? I mean, your coworkers might be amazing, but don't you want to get it from your father in heaven? The father of the heavenly lights? Fasting between you and Jesus. It says, I tell you the truth, this is the only reward that they're going to get. They're going to get their reward from their coworkers because they didn't eat a donut in the morning. No, Jesus is calling us to break the chains of bondage. He's calling us to see freedom come. He's calling us to do it unto him. And we're going to do a church-wide fast in a couple of weeks. You know, Easter's coming, and people will come to church on Easter that never come to church otherwise. And we're going to be praying for a spirit of boldness and that we would welcome people and invite people. People need to get out of their house after after the last year that we've had. But we're going to do a church-wide fast. Either you can do one day, two days, or three days. Um, and if you've never fasted before, I would recommend you do it from noon to noon. 
So you eat lunch, don't eat dinner, don't eat breakfast, and then eat lunch again. That's the easiest fast to do. But watch Jesus do some stuff. Watch Jesus break the chains. I've seen so many people get set free from from things that have held them captive for years. Fasting is epic. And if you go into it with the attitude, oh, this is going to be terrible, it will, I promise. As a man thinks, so is he. But if you go into the fast expecting and going, I can't wait to see what God's going to do through this, I promise you, you are going to see God move. The seventh thing is lives of generosity. A true disciple of Jesus will not be a tightwad. Instead, they will be like, how can I use my money for the kingdom of heaven? What can I do with my money? And this is what it says. And and starting, honestly, I'm going to just shoot straight here with you. The first 10%. Honestly, I mean, God owns 100%. Yes, let's do the math. God owns 100%. Do this if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, I know some of you struggle with math, so do I. Okay, he owns 100%, and he gives you 90%, and he's saying, I want you to trust me with 10%, with the first 10%, so I can bless the rest. You know, almost every time somebody struggles financially, as a believer, and I'm not saying this across the board because I don't like to put Jesus in certain formulas because Jesus does what Jesus does, and he can do that. But for, for financial problems, the first question I always ask is, are you, are you giving God your first 10%? Are you offering it back to God? Because if you, if you give him the first 10, he will bless the rest. He will bless the other 90. But also, just in your lifestyle, being generous with your time, for other people with your talent, using your gifts for the kingdom of heaven, living a life of generosity rather than self-protection. And I, I need to hoard this stuff because otherwise, you know, ask God, how do you want me to spend my money, Lord? How do you want me to spend it? It says in Luke 6.38, give and you will receive. Say that, give and you will receive. It says your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for what? For more. It'll be running over and poured into your lap. And it says, I want you to hear this. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Have you ever heard the saying, it says you can't outgive God? True statement. You cannot outgive God. Give and it will be given to you. And, and obviously God knows your heart. So if you're just giving money so that you get money back just so you can spend it on yourself. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying don't ever spend money on yourself because the Bible does say too, it says that he has given us all things to richly enjoy. But I've also heard I would rather have adversity than wealth because when you have adversity, you have no choice but to go through it. But when you have wealth, you have to start making decisions. You have to start going, ooh, how much of this money should I spend on myself or can I spend any on myself and how much should I give away and how much, you know, there is a whole spiritual principle with generosity. And I just want to challenge you, be overly generous and watch God go before you. Watch God give back. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The eighth principle is that of expectation. Expectation. 
expecting God to keep his promises, expecting God to show up, expecting God to meet you in those times where it says, like if you seek him with all your heart, it says you will find him. If you seek him with all of your heart and you go, God, I want to find you. I just want to be with you. I want to hear from you. I want to sense your spirit. You know, you can sense his spirit. You can sense his presence. That was what was going on this morning. I'm just sitting in my prayer chair going, I never want to leave. I never want to get out of this chair. So sweet. Expect him to show up like that. And if he doesn't, keep pressing in. Confess whatever you need to confess. Get it all out of the way so you can meet with the lover of your soul. The only one who can satisfy you. You know, I've tried everything the world has to offer. I did that whole thing, that whole routine. And there's nothing. There is nothing the world has to offer. Nothing. It's Jesus. You know, I was talking to a guy yesterday at the gym. And, you know, I was telling him, I, I was just kind of sharing the Lord with him, and and um, and I said, so you know, like, what's going on with you, like spiritually? And he's like, well, I'm just, I'm on a truth quest. And I go, well, you can stop your truth quest right here because Jesus already said He's the truth. He said He's the way, the truth, and the life. I said, when Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. He didn't say, it is finished as, as much as it depends on you and, and as after you, all you have done. He doesn't say that. He says, it is finished. And I said, and then what happens is when you fall so deeply in love with Jesus, you're going to want to serve him. You're going to want to give your life over to him. You are going to want it. You're going to give yourself up for him so that you can have all that he offers. Tony Evans is one of my favorite Bible teachers, and he says, God will only give you as much of God as you can handle. He will never give you more than you can handle. So expect him to show up. And then the next thing is fellowship. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. That's an oxymoron. You cannot be a Christian without being involved with the body of Christ. It's like saying, I love, I love the head of Christ, but I hate his body. That doesn't happen. That's not the way it is. Do you know that God gives us relationships as a gift so that some of our ugly will come to the surface so he can deal with it? He gives us opportunities. I, I, I firmly believe that I have the ministry of character building for other people, that I give people opportunities to forgive and to overlook an offense and to, you know, I mean, I give people a lot of opportunities to have to forgive me. I say offensive things. I, I mean, I, sometimes I try to, but I try not to for the most part. But I think every one of us has somebody in your life that's just like that. Oh, they just make me crazy. Anybody? Is it just me? Really, God gives us relationships as a blessing. I want to read this to you. I, I just got this, or I saw this yesterday on Instagram. I just thought this was so powerful. It says, stay with your church especially your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. 
I love this part, quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Um, I'm getting, I'm in a graduate program and, and it, I just took a class on culture and one of the things that they talked about was how in America we pride ourselves on our rugged individualism. We're so independent. Well, and, and our history is one of, we broke away from England and so, you know, we're independent. But this is the thing that's tearing lives apart. This is one of the things COVID did. It kept us isolated. It kept us independent. It kept us away from other people. This is saying just the opposite. It's saying surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community. For it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. And when you fail a course, which we will, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table and eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent. Repent again and again. Risk vulnerability. Now this is a tough one because I know personally I made vows with myself. I will never let anyone get close to me again because then they can't hurt me. I was talking to a young lady about this yesterday, but this is just this vicious cycle because then we, we isolate ourselves. And then when we isolate ourselves, then the enemy is able to come in and define who we are and tell us how terrible we are and how nobody likes us anyway. So then we don't go out. We don't risk vulnerability. We don't risk offering ourselves to people in relationships. And we get robbed and they get robbed. I love this. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt. And we will hurt in return. That is part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from the closest relationships. Our greatest wounds come from the closest relationships, but so does our deepest healing. Our deepest healing comes from relationships. When somebody actually knows you, they know who you are, they know your weaknesses, they know your shortcomings, your failures, and they still accept you. That is where healing happens. And this does not happen if you're by yourself. The risk is worth it. Ah, I love that. The risk is worth it. Risk vulnerability. Get involved in the life of the community. Don't, don't stand far off. Get in, get in a community group or a Bible study or one-on-one -on -one mentoring or a small group or something. Be with people. Don't isolate yourself. And if you're hurt, if you've been rejected, I understand. But risk it. Take the risk. It's worth it. The tenth and final characteristic is that we are people of blessing. We bless people. You know, our natural tendency is to be critical. Our natural tendency is to be negative against others and to assume the worst and to judge. This is what comes naturally. It's much harder for us to, to reject that and to say, I'm going to see the best in others expecting the best. I'm going to expect the best in people. I just, I feel like I need to say this to somebody. In your marriage, you don't expect the best of your spouse. You're not expecting the best. You're always assuming the worst. So if that's you, maybe get that right with Jesus and with your spouse. No nudging people right now. 
but we should be people who bless and do not curse. We should be people who love extravagantly, even if we don't get it back. We should be people who love like Jesus through our imperfections, through our failings, through our sins. He still continues to invite us to come to that table. He says, come down, come and sit down, eat with me. Let's hang out. I have some things I want to talk to you about. I have some things that are broken in you that I want to heal. I want to pour out my spirit on you. I want to give you strength for today. I want to give you peace in the midst of your anxiety. I want to calm your anxious heart. I want you to draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Just let him. Commit to it. Again, I'm not trying to give you a religious prescription or a to-do list. I'm just saying that is where life happens. And I'm full-on going to tell you, it's the only way you can survive trials. It is the only way you can survive. And not only survive, but thrive. And I'm standing here as living proof. Over the last five years, it has been rough. My husband passed away five years ago, and then, like, most of the church left. And I'm saying, it has been really hard. But, hmm. God's Word, God's Spirit, God's presence. Yearn for it like a, like a newborn baby yearns for milk. Can you stand up? I want to speak a blessing over you. I love you guys so much. I miss, I miss all the people who can't come because of COVID. Someday I hope that we can all be back together again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. I love this verse. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may he make your, your spirit, soul, and body to be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Your whole spirit, soul, and body to be kept blameless until Jesus Christ comes again. He has freedom for us. He has his presence. He has love and acceptance and joy and strength available to us in his presence. That is where the, the authority and the power come. So Father, I pray over these, my beloved friends, my siblings. I love that. Lord, I pray that you, the God of peace, would make them holy in every way. Lord, I pray that their whole spirit, soul, and body could be kept blameless until you come back, Jesus. And Jesus, we ask you, please hurry. <laughs> please come back. We yearn for the day, God, when you return. But in the meantime, Jesus, we want to be in your presence. We want to experience everything you have for us. Lord, we just declare that you are the, the Lord of the universe, and yet you are the lover of our souls. And we yearn to be with you, Lord. In Jesus' name. If you're somebody, and this is all crazy talk, 
and you're like, what are you talking about being with a God you can't even see? I want to introduce you to him today. Please let me introduce you to him today. Come and talk to me. Or if, if someone brought you, just ask them, how do I get to know Jesus? Because he wants to get to know you. I mean, he already knows everything about you, but he wants you to, to get to know him. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be your bestie. Legit, your bestie. Over everyone else, over every other relationship. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I will see you next week. I love you all so much.